The Aboriginal peoples of the Kulin Nations are the traditional custodians of the lands now named City of Greater Dandenong. We acknowledge, recognise and respect Elders past, present and emerging and their continuing connections to climate, culture and country. Books, events, and conversations with the team at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I'm Trent, and in this episode, Mean and I will discuss a selection of sci fi short stories by Chinese author Ken Liu. Robin interviews local artist, broadcaster, and disability advocate Warren Lawham. Lee takes us through Canopy and talks about a few great new films on the platform. And we have a few reviews from library staff PJ and Monique. Hope you enjoy. Ken Liu is editor and translator of contemporary Chinese science fiction anthologies, author of novels and short stories and essays, as well as a speaker on subjects like cryptocurrency, futurism, and sustainable storytelling. His story, The Paper Menagerie, is the first piece of fiction to win three genre literary awards, the Hugo, the Nebula, and the World Fantasy Award. He also invented silk punk, a genre that he describes as a technology aesthetic based on a science fictional elaboration of traditions of engineering in East Asia's classical antiquity and in which the heroes are engineers and not wizards. But don't worry, we'll link to all of these in the show notes so you don't have to remember all that information. And today we'll be talking about Ken Liu and his anthologies Broken Stars and Invisible Planets as well as his short story collection The Hidden Girl and other stories. We've read a selection of the short stories contained in these works. Trent, you read from The Hidden Girl and other stories. Which stories did you read? Oh, I read... um. A few there. I managed to get through one called Maxwell's Demons, which is in reference to a particular thought experiment in thermodynamics about how um, certain, specifically the second law of thermodynamics can be violated with a little demon controlling a door. So I'll explain (laughs) some of how that happens. And it's very interesting how it involves the spiritual and the folk with with this sci-fi. Another one that was very similar, which... uh, it's the title of the book called The Hidden Girl. That was the name of the short story itself. And again, sort of encapsulates some typical understanding of physics, but in a very um, folksy setting in sort of feudal China, uh, where they are able to uh, manipulate the fourth dimension in a sense. So it's very interesting that. And then The Reborn, which certainly raises some interesting ideas about uh, identity and memory wow okay so with maxwell's demon um it's set in start starting with america it's a japanese american girl um during world war ii who is imprisoned as as we know the history of that unfortunate event Mm. um and through her time she's asked questions in the in the prisoner camp and eventually realizes she's sort of too rebellious and sent off to japan to be a spy um, because of her understanding of astrophysics and, and the like. Mm. And she also is then revealed very quickly in the story to be a sort of spirit talker. Well, they call them a Yuta because she comes from a sort of Okinawan uh, lineage. So the, even the Okinawans are somewhat 
um, considered outsiders by Japan themselves, by the Japanese. So there's an interesting conflict between the American, the Japanese, and uh, the Okinawan mm-hmm. culture that's that's established pretty quickly. She works in a laboratory that are trying to use from, um, supernatural phenomena to win the war, in a sense, similar to what we understand of what Germany was trying to do with its telekinesis and psychic and various other things, summoning demons and who knows what else. So, yes, the main character is sort of tasked with gathering spirits as they realize very quickly that she's able to manipulate them in an attempt to create the eponymous um, Maxwell's demon in the thought experiment Mm. so that it can create an endless source of energy, in a sense, for the Japanese as they know that the um, Americans are about to do their bombs. Um. I can't really go on too much on that one because it could spoil the story uh, yeah, through the twist yeah. and what yeah. ends up happening. But I think it was a very interesting fusion, uh, like with the next one that I'll explain, of uh, the traditional folklore. Um, I guess in this sense, he's sort of going for the Japanese folklore, hmm. even though he's a Chinese writer and does it very well, like very interestingly. Like there's things that I didn't know about because I sort of looked at typical Japanese folklore and Shintoism. Yeah. But I never realized that the Okinawans had a very rich history of their own. Mm. Um, and in this case, it's about the spirit talkers or the Yuta. And yeah, it's a very, very interesting fusion of science and, and spirituality. Um, same with The Hidden Girl, which is about a girl who's just living in feudal China with her father, who's a general. And. The story starts with her hanging off of a tree, trying to get these flowers that are very sweet. Um, she likes the taste of them. Mm. And an old lady's walking past and says, um, will you pay me arms? Establishing that she's a monk. Yeah. And the little girl is trying to reach one. And she's like, no, no, no. The lady says, don't grab those ones. You can't grab them with your hands. I don't, I don't want the dust of a human um, mm-hmm. spoiling the flavor. And so the little girl performs this acrobatics and grabs them falling with her teeth lands on the floor after, you know, um, nearly breaking herself on a branch, yeah. lands on the floor and says, here you are. You never said anything about not being able to use my teeth. <laughs> um, and then the lady says, ah, I think I will keep you. And follows a sort of set of things that happens where she's kidnapped by this oh. lady who oh. is who is a sort of Buddhist monk, but an assassin as well. Wow. So there's a bit of a talk about how everyone's a thief um, and that the, the girl's like, no, my father's not a thief, he's a general. It's like, well, he probably stole somebody's lands or he's done something with his ambition. Right. And she explains that she is a stealer of lives. And mm. I guess in the sense that she kidnaps the girl and also um, kills various high-ranking officials for mm. for others. There's a strong through line of the sort of fable-like story, isn't there, with the ones that you were talking about and the ones that I read as well, which, yep. yeah, which I mean, I, I guess are in so many stories from all over the world, but particularly here, they really stand out as that mix of the science fiction and the traditional sort of fable or um, Chinese yes. literature, yeah. So even with um, one last thing about The Hidden Girl is that it gets to the point where it starts to explain their particular ability or supernatural power, but they mm. do it in a way that... Um, I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with Flatland. I can't remember who the author is, but it's trying to explain what a three-dimensional object would look like to a two-dimensional being, what 
a four dimensional object would look to like um, to us, to okay. three dimensional beings. Yep. Um, and this is what the hidden girl and her sort of group are able to do. The monk are able to teach them how to enter the fourth dimension in a sense. Ah, wow. And able to exist there. And that's how they are able to be such good assassins. Right, of course. And so it's very interesting how it takes on this this idea of the ghosts and demons that mm. can exist in parallel dimensions, but it, it still uses a very science fiction understanding the way it explains it, how an ant will see a circle as its barrier, but it doesn't it's not aware of the danger that might exist above it. Because mm. it only exists in two dimensions. Ah, fascinating. I love that mix, that's amazing. So it was really cool reading that one. Yeah. Maybe, maybe re, um, what were some of your stories before I get on to The Reborn, which I oh, yep. only just finished reading, so it's very fresh in my mind. And- we'll give you a little minute for it to sink in then. Um, there's, so one of the stories that I read is the first in a series by Anna Wu. Um, it's called The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Um, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, La Bar Porridge, which was in Broken Stars, Um and you might recognise that title, Trent, I think. Yes, um, yes. Douglas it's, Adams reference. Yeah, Douglas Adams' second book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, which is one of the reasons I chose to read that particular story because it's hard. You just like, oh, where, where do I start? Who knows? But that title obviously go stood out to me. Yeah, go by title. <laughs> what else to do? Um, so, yeah, and I don't really remember the, the book. I'd read that when I was a kid and I don't remember it. So... I had a little bit of a look, you know, a bit of an internet search around and some some of the characters, well, one of the characters is definitely the same and there seems to be a bit of a setup of the, the restaurant being kind of similar. Um, but then what actually happens from there and in the story and what, what, what follows is completely different. It doesn't have all the same characters. It has Marvin, who's a waiter in this incarnation. So in this story... There are Venusians, Titanians, Earthlings all gathering to eat together in this restaurant. And as it says in the book, intelligent beings of every shape and size might be seen in this restaurant's blurred concept of time and space, waving their antenna, dribbling their mucus, crackling and sparking their energy fields, which I thought was an amazing sentence. Um, Working in the restaurant are Mo and her father, the owner, both from Earth and Marvin, the waiter. The restaurant's owner will accept a story as payment for meals as long as it is, it is interesting enough. So one day Mo sees a man sitting in the restaurant and says to her father, I reckon he'd have a great story to tell. She's got a bit of a, a capacity, a bit of an ability to pick the person in the room who'd have the best story. Her father turns out he already knows this man's story and, and kind of proceeds to tell her a fable-like story of an insecure writer who poaches the skills of literary stars from parallel dimensions with the help of an agency called the Agency of Mysteries um, who can fulfil any desire or need but will only do so if that task happens to interest them enough and you can't pay them with money, you have to trade. And obviously that trade is inevitably something you don't want to give up. And so that's the crux of that story. And that's one of those things as well, I don't want to give away too much because um, it was actually, it was really enjoyable and the fable part was wonderful. And it was great to have those two sections. So we were in there in the restaurant and then we have the father telling the daughter another story and then it comes back to that man and we've learned something about this man from the fable. Yeah, it was really good. Um, And the second story I read was called Folding Beijing by Hao Jingfang. 
um, a story in the style of the social science fiction. So sort of exploring ideas of society and human behaviour within the context of other worlds, parallel worlds, um, folding Beijing one awards it's won the hugo novelette of the year uh, and it will be wow. a film yeah in the next year or so it's been in the works for a while but i think it looks like it's finally going to happen so i'll just give you a bit of a the crux of the story there's lao dao and he's a man living in the third space in a beijing that goes through three phases every 48 hours the first is a 24-hour phase for the elite in the first space then the change comes and the city flips its occupants asleep until their turn comes again 24 hours later The second temporal phase enables the inhabitants of the second space to wake when the first space flips and they have from 6am to 10pm. Then their space folds in on itself and becomes the third space whose inhabitants mostly work in menial jobs, waste management and occupy the time 10pm to Um, 6am. Our main character Lao Dao works in waste management um, and so he's only ever awake between 10pm and 6am. He's very poor. Um, one day he finds a, a bottle. I'll start that a bit again. One day at work he finds a bottle with a message in it from someone in the second space with an offer to carry out a task in the first space and make an amount of money that like, he can hardly believe. He has a daughter about to start kindergarten and the fees are super high. The competition's fierce to get into these places and all he can think about is getting enough money so that his adopted daughter who's a foundling from the waste plant, can have a better life. So he goes on this adventure through the spaces, from the third to the second, picks up his his task from the person who sent the bottle to the waste management plant and on to the first. And so obviously he encounters all the different spaces. He's um, he, he encounters people who are doing very different work, They're, the places they live are very different. They also are able to be awake for more hours in a day and it does kind of go into those social issues of labour and um, poverty um, and social strata. It's the folding city a bit of a system of control. Yes, well, that's right because there's too many people so they had to, yeah, so that this is how they've decided to create their social strata essentially. The way you've explained it reminds me of a movie Dark City. Yeah, I, I know it has it has elements of that, and also it kind of it kind of gave me um, uh, memories of Inception too. Because even though that was different, going through dream, going sort of yes. through their mind, and th- yeah, it so, sort of still has that because everything was sort of folding around them and dimensions are a little yeah. bit more warped. Yeah, and so you could imagine it being a movie really, really easily. Do you want to go into your next story? Yes, I'm happy to do so. It's very interesting. So the other story that I read was uh, The Reborn, uh, which felt like a typical sort of science fiction at its outset, um, explaining the the main character coming down after being reborn. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, the learning curve, if, if, that can, if that's the right word to use, the right phrase. Yeah. Um, it was pretty challenging. Like there was a lot of stuff that you sort of think, oh, hold on. Is this assumed knowledge? What, what what do I need to know coming into it? Oh, but it's okay, yeah. it's one of those stories where you sort of understand what it's talking about as you read it. Mm. So that can provide some barriers to accessibility, but provided that you can do that, it was just one of the most amazing stories about the concept of of memory. So, mm. so make it a bit easier rather than letting it reveal itself later. Going into this story, if you do choose to read it, 
the reborn is people who have had parts of their memories removed, possibly because they're criminals. This, this is established very quickly that criminals would ha have um, have their memories removed and then be reintroduced back into society as fairly fairly average citizens just doing their thing. Yeah. Um, and it's because of a technology introduced by the Tornid. The Tornin, sorry. The Tornin was a species mm -hmm. that had invaded Earth not long before um, and had done so in a very violent manner. But then after the war, uh, the, after humans had surrendered to the Tornin, they became very peaceful and gave a lot of their technology, cured diseases, uh, helped people deal with trauma who were still alive by rebirthing them, hence the title Reborn. Mm. It would allow people to then continue their lives having forgotten the trauma of, of the past. And because of the Tornin's particular philosophy on identity being immortals themselves beyond physical death, they lived indefinitely. And one moment explains that their brain is like the teeth of a shark, where because they live so long to then deal with the vast amounts of information over millennia of existence, their brains would just let go of the past mm. eventually so that they could keep getting new things. And the main character, who is the lover of a Tornin, he's sort of explaining that this is just who they are, that they could be one person 50 years ago and then become a completely different person. And just as they explained that their warlike nature was one moment, which is a physiological reaction to doing their thing of invading mm. or being threatened, whatever it was, um, they could then shed that ruthless nature, ruthless and very cruel from some of the memories that are explained um, and become a very peaceful and loving species. Wow. And it's very, it, it touches at the concepts of, of, of our own history of what it is to be the victims of, of invasion or, or to be in the invader themselves. And how do you then go on knowing that people will hate you for what you've done? So the basic premise of it is that at the start of the, of the short story, it felt like a novel, just the amount of density, mm. the stuff packed in the 30 odd pages um, is a terrorist attack on mm. the reborn and various tornins. So there's a group of humans called the xenophobes, Interesting. Oh, yes. That they right. called that. Okay. Um, they're the ones trying to retain the spirit of humanity and its respect for the past and remembering injustice. And I won't go on to spoil it because it's, again, there's some twists in there, but obviously there is an organization trying to fight back mm. against the Tornin okay. invasion, right. yep. which it's still, by definition, exactly that. Mm. And that the main character is a police officer investigating these crimes and who did this and how did they how were they able to evade the probing of this technology that allows you know the Tornin to see into memories and and discern who committed these crimes and so obviously it's still coming from that it I think it still lands in the side of the humans or the victims in this case by the end of the story. Yeah. Whereas yep. at first you think, oh, maybe that's justified. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. It's maybe it, it starts off, you, you start thinking, is would that be better? Just, oh. just to be able to forget and just remove those parts of that's our brain. That's very well done then. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, this is quite different, but I suppose it was sort of a science fiction film, that Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's been so long since I saw that. Yeah, but they, essentially, they erase painful memories. Yeah. So the, the starting quote for The Reborn, just to sort of finish off my little review, I think it's just mm. fitting of what this story is about and amazing. 
uh, quote by Steven Pinker from The Blank Slate. Mm-hmm. And it reads, each of us feels that there is a single I in control, but that is an illusion that the brain works hard to produce. Mm. It's, yeah, very interesting, the concept as well of identity and self. Yeah. Because one of the really valid points, I think, that the Tornan, despite their being the invaders, is the concept of multiple selves within within us. Yeah. And... Yeah. And this is one of the things that they try to establish through this through this rebirth is the concept that the criminal self is just one part. Mm. Or, or, the, or I should say the one that feels injustice is just one part. Mm. And that there's these more peaceful versions. Um, the, the specific example they give in the story that the Tornan is explaining is that a horrible murderer can also be a loving husband and a good yeah. father and all these other elements yeah. to identity. So they contain multitudes and they're trying to get a grasp on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's, oh, but yeah, it, it's, I think it's going to require a few rereadings because, and, and some further analysis because I think yeah. this is typical science fiction, but in a really interesting way that mm. um, challenges the sense of self. Yeah. It sounds like you really enjoyed it. And yeah, so that wonderful combination of science fiction, philosophy, and all the things that we love when we read science fiction. Yeah. Okay, great. So do you have any other recommendations from the library collection? Uh, one uh, series that we have that I think just arrived recently in the library is Electric Dreams, which is a set of short films based on Philip K. Dick's short stories. Mm, wonderful. So very popular sci-fi writer. Mm. One thing that I will touch on, I'm not sure that we have access to it, however, is Ken Liu did do a short film for Love, Death and Robots. Ah, yes. Okay. Hmm. called Good Hunting, if you can find that. You can find that, yeah. Again, a very good combination of supernatural and science Yep. in, in this story. Yeah, wonderful. And I would just recommend quickly Ted Chang's books. Um, I'll put them – we'll put all of this stuff into the show notes. Uh, he, one of his books is called Arrival, um, otherwise known as Stories of Your Life and Other Stories, uh, which – and Arrival was the – basis for the for the movie Arrival with Amy Adams. Wow. And I think we have that DVD as well. And that's some of my favourite science fiction. I, I try to recommend it to everybody. Um, so definitely that. And also just um, a couple of podcasts that we found uh, while we were having a look at the Chinese science fiction for this episode is one called Spectology and one called Clark's World. And one of the – Clark's World has audio – Short stories, which is really wonderful, um, free, obviously. And Spectology has two people talking about science fiction in all its different guises. They do a sort of do a book club and then the episode before they do a deep dive into that area of science fiction. It's really, it's really quite wonderful. So they're two things to check out as well. So much stuff to have a look so into. So many things, yeah. Oh. All right, thanks for that, Trent. Um, Thank you so much, Mina. All right, see you then. Have Bye. a great day, everyone. I'm Emma from the Greater Dandenong Libraries Programs team. I'm here to tell you all about what's happening in our libraries coming into Term 2. Libraries After Dark have some fantastic programs happening in the coming weeks, including movie screenings, trivia after dark, and painting workshops with Vanessa White, where participants will learn to paint portraits of her award-winning budgies. The Reading Circle will soon begin a virtual offering via Microsoft Teams for those who can't make it to the monthly face-to-face session at Dandenong Library. 
Our weekly children's programs begin again in Term 2 with story time, baby bounce and toddler time happening each week at both branches. The Think Tank is coming up in May with a robotics workshop brought to you by RoboGals. And Code Club also returns for 2021 with a three-week tech taster program, which is booking fast. For more information about library programs and to register to attend any of our programs, please visit our website. And now, Robin's interview with Warren Loham, an artist, broadcaster and disability advocate living here in Greater Dandenong. Warren Loham is an artist, broadcaster and disability advocate living in Greater Dandenong. He has been involved in community radio, Arts Access Victoria and the advocacy group Voice at the Table and is the host of the VAT Chat podcast. Welcome, Warren. Thanks for joining us on The Open Book. Thank you, Robin. It's lovely to be here. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your background? Essentially, I came, worked my way through disability equipment in the administration side of things uh, for about 15 years or so. Uh, ended up at the statewide equipment program, which was the new version of the old ANEP AIDS and Equipment Program or something it was called. I can't remember exactly. And around 2011, end of 2011, early 2012, I had a series of uh, TIA strokes or minor strokes. So I couldn't keep working, obviously, and and uh, yeah. did quite a bit of rehabilitation. Um, they mainly affected... Uh, my thinking, as you can probably tell, I, I search for words. I it affected, especially affected my field of vision or the vision processing centre in my brain. I have what they call perfect eyes. There's nothing wrong with them whatsoever. They they work beautifully, but the vision processing has meant that I've lost uh, about a quarter to a third of my field of vision. So I have this great big black spot. It's the only way I can describe it. Um, in my lower right-hand side, it doesn't matter what where I'm looking, it's always there. Well, it's there's nothing there, mm. I should say. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. So, yeah, so um, it was very hard and very frustrating and um, I had some friends who were a bit who cared for me, and they one of them suggested I should take up some painting as a way to release some of that frustration. That was about 2017, early 2017. So for like five years, I'd gone through just doing the the standard rehab and getting f- pumped full of pills of all descriptions and. And not getting anywhere. Yeah, so I started painting uh, very quickly, drew, got drawn to um, oil painting, um, which is mm-hmm. mainly because of the way I paint. Apparently I paint intuitively and don't, I don't think about it. I just paint. If, the, if there's a mm-hmm. blank canvas in front of me, I just throw paint on it and go for it. So... Using oil paint helps that um, because it allows the colours to blend into each other and you get a much, I I find a much better control of the painting. Um, Mm. I I usually describe 
most of my paintings is either automatic or a meditation. I don't have mm. a preconceived idea what I'm going to paint. Um, mm. So there's a lot of abstract paintings in there, obviously, because when you don't have any ideas, you just paint and it's the movement and the way the colours play off mm. each other. And I can understand it's kind of like a meditation for you or something that you can really um, uh, get lost in and get in, involved in. Yeah, that's perfect. I do get lost in it. Uh, and that's why I say it's like a meditation. It's I, I don't think about it. It just happens. I think mm. that's one of the Eastern philosophies, uh, not to push against things, just to yeah. let them happen. You, through your painting and being involved in the arts, did that lead you to meet up with um, other people with cognitive disabilities? Yeah. Um, in uh, 2018, I I was halfway through my first NDIS plan and hadn't actually used any of it, hadn't been able to get in contact with anyone to use it and was basically left mm. high and dry. I saw a little Facebook post for Arts Access Victoria offering a, a free workshop called NDISNU. So I thought, well, I'm an artist. I'm on NDIS. <laughs> this makes sense. I should go to that. And so they helped me quite a lot at Arts Access Victoria um, get mm-hmm. get things into place, things you know, your normal disability support things in place. Things started to move quickly from there. And um, and like you said, I was sort of embraced by the community because I, even though I stumble over my words, I'm still fairly articulate. I moved, yeah, that, that whole thing. I felt very embraced and comfortable and safe with them. And then... And then being introduced to other people with uh, ABI, other artists with an ABI, and a couple of them were very similar to me in the fact they never had, you know, pursued art in any sort of meaningful way since high school. And, you know, I'm in my 50s now, so it's quite a while ago. Mm. And, yeah, so and those people um, invited me to... Um, Brain Injury Matters, uh, which is a bit of a support group, but I, I didn't feel I wasn't on the same wavelength as them, uh, so to speak, not the same vibe. But mm. they almost they also took me to Voice at the Table, uh, yeah, ah, which is yeah. a uh, it was a project uh, funded by the Victorian government to help people with the cognitive disability have a real say in the community and government by providing the training and supports needed for them to um, be on boards and committees and working groups. When I say cognitive disabilities, it's people like myself with a, a brain injury um, of whatever, whatever means, um, whether that's from a car crash or as in my case, from strokes. And it's also for people with an intellectual disability. 
and it gives them a chance to actually have a say in a constructive manner regarding things that are happening in their community. And we have a little mm. catchphrase in Voice at the Table, and I think it's uh, it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. It's nothing about us without us. It's a very simple, yeah, very simple, and just makes it much easier for people to understand what we're trying to do. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a yeah. great catchphrase, yeah. Because people want to be um, want to be heard, they want to be involved. Nothing about us without us. It says yeah. it all, actually. And then um, through that, you've also ended up doing a po- a podcast yes. yourself um, called Vat Chat. Can you tell us a bit more about Vat yeah. Chat? We've just been writing it up, so it's fairly fresh in my mind. Uh, Vat, as I said, was providing training for people with cognitive disabilities, but also for people with uh, in organisations uh, around inclusive team meetings. So making sure that a meeting itself was inclusive of everyone. So to make sure that, you know, mm. people could get to the meeting, could be have their say in the meeting, as we just said, and so forth. And then COVID hit. And all the training sort of got put on hold. As most government-funded projects are, there's a time limits to them. And uh, uh, in April last year, well, 2019, depending on when you're listening to this one, um, we started doing the the groundwork for the podcast as an alternative means to get the voice at the table material out there, the resources and reference material out there. The first series, which has finished now, uh, was based around the the Voice at the Table 10 top tips. And these tips help Mm -hmm. people, you know, in quite easy ways um, hold an inclusive meeting. We interviewed, and I keep saying we because I'm part of a team and I'm not doing it on my own. Um, So we interviewed a number of, um, previous Voice at the Table graduates and and got their feedback on the themes around the 10 top tips and put it into a podcast in a, a chat format like this and, and mm-hmm. delved into some pretty heavy material in regards to things like, you know, making sure everyone has a say, you know, a nice simple one you would think if you read it. But you go to a meeting and people are talking about, um, you know, last year's financials, you know, were depreciating because of X, Y, Z was appreciating and blah, 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 blah. That's what it sounds like to anyone who's not in the loop, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, doing things like speaking in plain English, communicating mm. in plain or e- even better, easy English, which is... And it's not saying you can't use hard words or big words, but you provide um, a, a definition of those words within mm. the meeting. And so, you know, if people are going to be talking about depreciation, make sure the definition of depreciation is in the paperwork that's handed out prior to the meeting. You know, so it's things around communication as well. So making sure all the 
material is in a readable format. So once again, plain or easy English. And, you know, mm. and the biggest thing is always ask the advocate that's on the board or on the committee, you know, what, what do they need to help make the reading inclusive? I think that's the biggest thing, isn't mm. it? Just you ask. Yeah, that's right. That communication, as you were saying, um, there's some great tips on there um, really for, you know, any organisations just holding their meetings so that um, everybody can participate well. But, yeah, particularly when you've got people um, coming in from the outside, yeah, who um, may have different um, uh, levels of of, um, disability. So, yeah, it's a fantastic resource. I encourage everybody to... um, check out uh, that chat online yep. so you can listen to it through most of your normal podcast services so if you on spotify or uh, what's the the new google one called or whatever <laughs> podcasts or something you just type in va double t chat nice and simple it'll pop up with a, a little um, logo for voice at the table so we've talked a bit about your your artwork. You've also been involved with the City of Greater Dandenong Art Advisory Board and I think Connection Art Space as well. Yeah, as I, I, I live in Greater Dandenong, as, as we've said, um, yeah. up the top of Robinson Street, um, which if you walk down to the bottom of it, you're at the train station. But you go past Connection Art Space every day if you walk, walk up and down mm. that street every day. Uh, I kept wondering what it was. I couldn't quite see. and So one day I just took the plunge and uh, went and looked it all up on the internet, you know, the wonderful resource that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, got in touch with Andrew, who was at the time, he was the, um, yeah, I think it was director, his title. Uh, I think they're changing all their names at the moment because they're appointing a new board and, and, and really moving forward to becoming a, a very strong entity in Dandenong and, and surrounding suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Connection Art Space. So I went along as a general volunteer. So I get – I the way I provide most of my volunteer is uh, sharing ideas and sharing uh, information and opportunities. One thing that I've always done is made sure – that anything I knew about something, like a, say there's an art prize coming up, I would share that information with everyone I thought would benefit from that information. Um, so uh, over the years, uh, previously, like I was involved in sporting clubs and things like that, and I would share that information with them, you know. Oh, here's a grant that we might be able mm. to go for to build that new new change room or whatever. So yeah. it's, a, it's a natural thing for me to do that. And the other thing I do with Kaz um, is sit the gallery. I actually quite enjoy that. Just go down uh, for an afternoon and sit in the gallery and help people look with the paintings or the artworks. Mm, show people yeah. around. It's only a small space, but um, some of the works are quite intimidating and I love that. I think that's what art should be should be scary it Mm. should be what's uh uh, disturb the 
disturb those who are comfortable. So I can't remember the quote, but I think you know the one. Yeah, yeah sort of um, shake things yes. up a bit. And yeah, so yeah. Andrew, because I would go along to the meetings at CAS and have my little two cents worth as a disabled um, artist. And they, from there, Andrew, um, who, who was on the art advisory board at the time, invited me down to the subcommittee. Um, he has, runs a little subcommittee to help with um, generating ideas and involvement around involvement mm. in the arts in Dandenong, oh, the greater Dandenong. So I just say Dandenong, I forget to put the greater in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's a great um, community resource and a, a great place for the community to get yeah. together. And there's some really exciting things happening in. 2021 so wait a minute what year are we in yeah 2021 yeah 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 yeah, that's great we'll have to um yeah our listeners will have to check out uh connection art space and see what's happening down there Mm. and finally do you have any recommendations for our listeners for books or movies or anything that you enjoy I could just give you the names of a few art books that I use, um, like Bridgman's, Bridgman's Drawing Manual, um, Anatomy of the Artist, or Anatomy for the Artist, I should say, which I borrowed from the yeah. library. <laughs> I, I don't, don't, awesome. don't own a copy of that one. But um, if you're just looking for a read, I'd probably say a, a couple of older books. Um, my reading has dropped off with the, the vision issues. Sophie's World, uh, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. I think is the, the author is Yosef uh, Goldstein. I think or Garten. I, I don't know. I'm sure you'll be able to uh, look that up and pop it on the website. Yeah, we'll we'll check out Sophie's World and put it in the um, the show yep. notes. And probably the other one which I, I quite enjoyed, even though. Some people thought it was a bit light. Was uh, Constellations of Philosophy by um, Elaine de Botton. Botton. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Um, I've always had an open, inquiring mind. So books like that, where it's a bit more story based rather than you know the academic type of philosophy, I, th- I find them much easier to read, as I'm sure most people do. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. We'll have to check those ones yeah. out. Well, you can find links to Warren's artworks and recommendations in the show notes, yeah. as well as information on Voice at the Table and the VAT Chat podcast. So thanks for joining us today, Warren. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. I've, I've, it was a really easy, comfortable time. Thank you. Now we have two title reviews from library staff members, PJ and Monique. Hi, my name is PJ and I've been watching The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, which was directed by Judy Irving and released in 2003. This compelling and funny documentary follows the story of Mark Bittner and his relationship with the feral parrots who have made Telegraph Hill, San Francisco, their home. Mark studies the flock of parrots, feeds them every day and even takes any sick or injured parrots into his home 
a cabin where the formerly homeless man now lives rent-free. A particularly touching moment is when Mark grooms one of the parrots who has lost its mate. He has such a close relationship with the flock that he names each one and can describe their personalities in detail. The documentary is an entertaining examination of the bonds that can form between humans and animals and shows how sometimes what starts as a hobby can turn into a passion and main occupation. I'd highly recommend it to any animal lovers or fans of quirky documentaries. You can watch The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill on Canopy for free with your City of Greater Dandenong Libraries card. My name is Monique and I'll be reviewing The Trauma Cleaner by Sarah Krasnerstein. I listened to this as a Belinda audiobook, which was read by Rachel Tidd. I initially met Sandra Pankhurst when she came into Dandenong Library several years ago for a media release opportunity. She struck me as a no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point woman who knows what she wants and is determined to get there. I enjoyed The Trauma Cleaner with all its stories of love, loss, tragedy and the unexpected. It gave me a glimpse into Sandra's transformative life and her experiences as Peter in a world and a time that I've not been exposed to. I've occasionally thought about who cleans up after someone dies. You know, natural causes, a clean scenario, pass away in their sleep. Whether it's a relative, a family, friend, it sort of seems like just like moving house but with more emotion. But I'd never thought about who comes in when there is no one or when the deaths or the situation aren't nice and neat and clean like these. Although the writer doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of detail of Sandra's life or her cleaning business, there is a lot of information, a lot of stories that I did enjoy. What did grate on me, however, was the feeling of hero worship and adoration and the emotional language that was used rather than fact in the storytelling. This flows through the texts with sentences such as, I've had the rapturous experience many times of simply listening to her swear. For me, this made the book more about the writer and less about the subject. Overall, this book leaves you with more questions rather than answers. Some reviewers have found Sandra to be compassionate and warm-hearted, whereas others feel that she is cold-hearted and not compassionate. By reading The Trauma Cleaner, One Woman's Extraordinary Life in Death, Decay and Disaster by Sarah Krasnerstein, you too can make your own decision. Finally, Lee will introduce you to Canopy and suggest a few titles from our collection. Hi, my name is Lee and I'm here to talk to you through Canopy today, a wonderful movie streaming service, not so dissimilar to Netflix or Stan, but completely free with your Greater Dandenong Libraries card. On Canopy, you have access to thousands of thoughtful and thought-provoking films at the touch of your fingers. What I really love is what they have in place for you to find films. While browsing through their collection, you can filter by language, year, or even specialist subjects anywhere from LGBTQ cinema, to Latin American studies, to indie horror and thriller. There are new movies added weekly and your account allows you access to six free films every month. There's even a platform for the little ones to explore called Canopy Kids. Here are some of my favourite films currently on the platform. Apichapang Wirasethical's Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives is one of the most special films I've seen in the last few years. Apichapong is a slow storyteller, as anyone who's seen his films can attest to. So you do need a little patience for this one, but it's completely worth it. 
Uncle Boomy tells the story of a man in rural Thailand suffering from acute kidney failure. Surprisingly, the ghost of his deceased wife appears to care for him and his long lost son returns home in a non-human form. It's surreal, hypnotic, and definitely sure to stay with you for weeks. Canopy is also one of the few places you can watch the incredible short film Barbecue Area, which first appeared on the ABC in 1986. It's a 30 minute narrative flipping film that imagines what so-called Australia would be like if black settlers arrived to settle a continent inhabited by white natives. It's a telling story of the reality of life for First Nations people in this country, mixed in with the humor of a mockumentary. You won't know whether to laugh or cry or both. These are just a couple of the great new films on Canopy. Jump in and explore with your library card today and don't forget that you can always give the library a call on 1300 630 920 if you need a hand to get going. Thanks for listening. You can check out the show notes for more information on all the items we mentioned in the podcast and you can place holds on them via the Library's Victoria app or at our website, greaterdandenong.vic.gov.au.